Chapters 32 through 35 of Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book Two, translated by Alexander Roberts and William H. Rombeau. Chapter Thirty Two Further Exposure of the Wicked and Blasphemous Doctrines of the Heretics. One. Moreover, this impious opinion of theirs with respect to actions namely that it is incumbent on them to have experience of all kinds of deeds, even the most abominable, is refuted by the teaching of the Lord, with whom not only is the adulterer rejected, but also the man who desires to commit adultery, and not only is the actual murderer held guilty of having killed another to his own damnation, but the man also who is angry with his brother without a cause, who commanded his disciples not only not to hate men, but also to love their enemies, and enjoined them not only not to swear falsely, but not even to swear at all, and not only not to speak evil of their neighbors, but not even to style any one raka and fool, declaring that otherwise they were in danger of hell-fire, and not only not to strike, but even, when themselves struck, to present the other cheek to those that maltreated them, and not only not to refuse to give up the property of others, but even if their own were taken away, not to demand it back again from those that took it, and not only not to injure their neighbors, nor to do them any evil, but also when themselves wickedly dealt with, to be long-suffering, and to show kindness towards those that injured them, and to pray for them, that by means of repentance they might be saved, so that we should in no respect imitate the arrogance, lust, and pride of others. Since, therefore, he whom these men boast of as their master, and of whom they affirm that he had a soul greatly better and more highly toned than others, did indeed with much earnestness command certain things to be done as being good and excellent, and certain things to be abstained from, not only in their actual perpetration, but even in the thoughts which lead to their performance, as being wicked, pernicious, and abominable. How then can they escape being put to confusion, when they affirm that such a master was more highly toned in spirit, and better than others, and yet manifestly give instruction of a kind utterly opposed to his teaching? And again, if there were really no such thing as good and evil, but certain things were deemed righteous, 
and certain others unrighteous, in human opinion only, he never would have expressed himself thus in his teaching. The righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. But he shall send the unrighteous and those who do not the works of righteousness into everlasting fire, where their worms shall not die, and the fire shall not be quenched. 2. When they further maintain that it is incumbent on them to have experience of every kind of work and conduct, so that, if it be possible, accomplishing all during one manifestation in this life, they may at once pass over to the state of perfection. They are by no chance found striving to do those things which wait upon virtue, and are laborious, glorious, and skillful, which also are proved universally as being good. For if it be necessary to go through every work and every kind of operation, they ought in the first place to learn all the arts. All of them, I say, whether referring to theory or practice, whether they be acquired by self-denial, or are mastered through means of labor, exercise, and perseverance. As, for example, every kind of music, arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and all such as are occupied with intellectual pursuits. Then again, the whole study of medicine, and the knowledge of plants, so as to become acquainted with those which are prepared for the health of man, the art of painting and sculpture, brass and marble work, and the kindred arts. Moreover, they have to study every kind of country labor, the veterinary art, pastoral occupations, the various kinds of skilled labor, which are said to pervade the whole circle of human exertion, those again connected with a maritime life, gymnastic exercises, hunting, military and kingly pursuits, and as many others as may exist, of which, with the utmost labor, they could not learn the tenth, or even the thousandth part, in the whole course of their lives. The fact indeed is, that they endeavor to learn none of these, although they maintain that it is incumbent on them to have experience of every kind of work. But, turning aside to voluptuousness and lust and abominable actions, they stand self-condemned when they are tried by their own doctrine. For, since they are destitute of all those virtues which have been mentioned, they will of necessity pass into the destruction of fire. These men, while they boast of Jesus as being their master, do, in fact, emulate the philosophy of Epicurus and the indifference of the cynics, calling Jesus their master, who not only turned his disciples away from evil deeds, but even from wicked words and thoughts, as I have already shown. 3. Again, while they assert 
that they possess souls from the same sphere as Jesus, and that they are like to him, sometimes even maintaining that they are superior, while they affirm that they were produced like him for the performance of works tending to the benefit and establishment of mankind, they are found doing nothing of the same or a like kind with his actions, nor what can in any respect be brought into comparison with them. And if they have in truth accomplished anything remarkable by means of magic, they strive in this way deceitfully to lead foolish people astray, since they confer no real benefit or blessing on those over whom they declare that they exert supernatural power. But bringing forward mere boys as the subjects on whom they practice, and deceiving their sight while they exhibit phantasms that instantly cease, and do not endure even a moment of time, they are proved to be like not Jesus our Lord, but Simon the Magician. It is certain, too, from the fact that the Lord rose from the dead on the third day, and manifested himself to his disciples, and was in their sight received up into heaven, that inasmuch as these men die, and do not rise again, nor manifest themselves to any, they are proved as possessing souls in no respect similar to that of Jesus. 4. If, however, they maintain that the Lord, too, performed such works simply in appearance, we shall refer them to the prophetical writings, and prove from these both that all things were thus predicted regarding him, and did take place undoubtedly, and that he is the only Son of God. Wherefore also those who are in truth his disciples, receiving grace from him, do in his name perform miracles, so as to promote the welfare of other men, according to the gift which each one has received from him. For some do, certainly and truly, drive out devils, so that those who have thus been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. And what shall I more say? It is not possible to name the number of the gifts which the church, scattered throughout the whole world, has received from God in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and which she exerts day by day for the benefit of the Gentiles, neither practicing deception upon any, nor taking any reward from them, 
on account of such miraculous interpositions. For as she has received freely from God, freely also does she minister to others. 5. Nor does she perform anything by means of angelic invocations, or by incantations, or by any other wicked, curious art, but directing her prayers to the Lord, who made all things in a pure, sincere, and straightforward spirit, and calling upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, she has been accustomed to work miracles for the advantage of mankind, and not to lead them into error. If, therefore, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ even now confers benefits upon men, and cures thoroughly and effectively all who anywhere believe on him, but not that of Simon, or Menander, or Carpocrates, or of any other man whatever, it is manifest that, when he was made man, he held fellowship with his own creation, and did all things truly through the power of God, according to the will of the Father of all, as the prophets had foretold. But what these things were, shall be described in dealing with the proofs to be found in the prophetical writings. Chapter 33 Absurdity of the Doctrine of the Transmigration of Souls 1. We may subvert their doctrine as to transmigration from body to body by this fact, that souls remember nothing whatever of the events which took place in their previous states of existence. For if they were sent forth with this object that they should have experience of every kind of action, they must of necessity retain a remembrance of those things which have been previously accomplished, that they might fill up those in which they were still deficient, and not by always hovering without intermission round the same pursuits, spend their labor wretchedly in vain, for the mere union of a body with a soul could not altogether extinguish the memory and contemplation of those things which had formerly been experienced. And especially as they came into the world for this very purpose. For as, when the body is asleep and at rest, whatever things the soul sees by herself and does in a vision, recollecting many of these, she also communicates them to the body. And as it happens that, when one awakes, perhaps after a long time, he relates what he saw in a dream, so also would he undoubtedly remember those things which he did before he came into this particular body. For if that which is seen only for a very brief space of time, or has been conceived of simply in a phantasm, 
and by the soul alone, through means of a dream, is remembered after she has mingled again with the body, and been dispersed through all the members, much more would she remember those things in connection with which she stayed during so long a time, even throughout the whole period of a bypassed life. 2. With reference to these objections, Plato, that ancient Athenian, who also was the first to introduce this opinion, when he could not set them aside, invented the notion of a cup of oblivion, imagining that in this way he would escape this sort of difficulty. He attempted no kind of proof of his supposition, but simply replied dogmatically to the objection in question that when souls enter into this life, they are caused to drink of oblivion by that demon who watches their entrance into the world before they effect an entrance into the bodies assigned them. It escaped him that by speaking thus he fell into another greater perplexity. For if the cup of oblivion, after it has been drunk, can obliterate the memory of all the deeds that have been done, how, O Plato, dost thou obtain the knowledge of this fact, since thy soul is now in the body, that, before it entered into the body, it was made to drink by the demon a drug which caused oblivion? For if thou hast a remembrance of the demon and the cup, and the entrance into life, thou oughtest also to be acquainted with other things. But if, on the other hand, thou art ignorant of them, then there is no truth in the story of the demon, nor in the cup of oblivion prepared with art. 3. In opposition again to those who affirm that the body itself is the drug of oblivion, this observation may be made. How then does it come to pass that whatsoever the soul sees by her own instrumentality, both in dreams and by reflection or earnest mental exertion, while the body is passive, she remembers and reports to her neighbors? But again, if the body itself were the cause of oblivion, then the soul as existing in the body, could not remember even those things which were perceived long ago either by means of the eyes or the ears. But as soon as the eye was turned from the things looked at, the memory of them also would undoubtedly be destroyed. For the soul, as existing in the very cause of oblivion, could have no knowledge of anything else than that only which it saw at the present moment. How, too, could it become acquainted with divine things, and retain a remembrance of them while existing in the body, since, as they maintain, the body itself is the cause of oblivion? But the prophets also, when they were upon the earth, 
remembered likewise, on their returning to their ordinary state of mind, whatever things they spiritually saw or heard in visions of heavenly objects, and related them to others. The body, therefore, does not cause the soul to forget those things which have been spiritually witnessed, but the soul teaches the body, and shares with it the spiritual vision which it has enjoyed. 4. For the body is not possessed of greater power than the soul, since indeed the former is inspired and vivified and increased and held together by the latter. But the soul possesses and rules over the body. It is doubtless retarded in its velocity, just in the exact proportion in which the body shares in its motion. But it never loses the knowledge which properly belongs to it. For the body may be compared to an instrument, but the soul is possessed of the reason of an artist. As, therefore, the artist finds the idea of a work to spring up rapidly in his mind, but can only carry it out slowly by means of an instrument, owing to the want of perfect pliability in the matter acted upon, and thus the rapidity of his mental operation, being blended with the slow action of the instrument, gives rise to a moderate kind of movement towards the end contemplated. So also the soul, by being mixed up with the body belonging to it, is in a certain measure impeded, its rapidity being blended with the body's slowness. Yet it does not lose altogether its own peculiar powers. But while, as it were, sharing life with the body, it does not itself cease to live. Thus, too, while communicating other things to the body, it neither loses the knowledge of them, nor the memory of those things which have been witnessed. 5. If, therefore, the soul remembers nothing of what took place in a former state of existence, but has a perception of those things which are here, it follows that she never existed in other bodies, nor did things of which she has no knowledge, nor once knew things which she cannot now mentally contemplate. But as each one of us receives his body through the skillful working of God, so does he also possess his soul. For God is not so poor or destitute in resources that he cannot confer its own proper soul on each individual body, even as he gives it also its special character. And therefore, when the number fixed upon is completed, that number which he had predetermined in his own counsel, all those who have been enrolled for life eternal shall rise again, having their own bodies, and having also their own souls, and their own spirits, in which they had pleased God. Those 
on the other hand, who are worthy of punishment, shall go away into it, they too having their own souls and their own bodies, in which they stood apart from the grace of God. Both classes shall then cease from any longer begetting and being begotten, from marrying and being given in marriage, so that the number of mankind, corresponding to the foreordination of God, being completed, may fully realize the scheme formed by the Father. Chapter 34 Souls can be recognized in the separate state, and are immortal, although they once had a beginning. 1. The Lord has taught with very great fullness that souls not only continue to exist, not by passing from body to body, but that they preserve the same form in their separate state as the body had to which they were adapted, and that they remember the deeds which they did in this state of existence, and from which they have now ceased. In that narrative, which is recorded respecting the rich man and that Lazarus who found repose in the bosom of Abraham. In this account, he states that Dives knew Lazarus after death, and Abraham in like manner, and that each one of these persons continued in his own proper position, and that Dives requested Lazarus to be sent to relieve him Lazarus, on whom he did not formally bestow even the crumbs which fell from his table. He tells us also of the answer given by Abraham, who was acquainted not only with what respected himself, but dives also, and who enjoined those who did not wish to come into that place of torment to believe Moses and the prophets and to receive the preaching of him who was to rise again from the dead. By these things, then, it is plainly declared that souls continue to exist, that they do not pass from body to body, that they possess the form of a man, so that they may be recognized, and retain the memory of things in this world. Moreover, that the gift of prophecy was possessed by Abraham, and that each class of souls receives a habitation such as it has deserved even before the judgment. 2. But if any persons at this point maintain that those souls which only began a little while ago to exist cannot endure for any length of time, but that they must on the one hand either be unborn, in order that they may be immortal, or if they have had a beginning in the way of generation, that they should die with the body itself. Let them learn that God alone, who is Lord of all, is without beginning 
and without end, being truly and forever the same, and always remaining the same unchangeable being. But all things which proceed from him whatsoever have been made, and are made, do indeed receive their own beginning of generation, and on this account are inferior to him who formed them, inasmuch as they are not unbegotten. Nevertheless, they endure and extend their existence into a long series of ages in accordance with the will of God their Creator, so that he grants them that they should be thus formed at the beginning, and that they should so exist afterwards. 3. For as the heaven which is above us, the firmament, the sun, the moon, the rest of the stars, and all their grandeur, although they had no previous existence, were called into being and continue throughout a long course of time according to the will of God, so also any one who thinks thus respecting souls and spirits, and in fact respecting all created things, will not by any means go far astray, inasmuch as all things that have been made had a beginning when they were formed, but endure as long as God wills that they should have an existence and continuance. The prophetic spirit bears testimony to these opinions when he declares, For he spake, and they were made, he commanded, and they were created, he hath established them for ever, yea, for ever and ever. And again he thus speaks, respecting the salvation of man. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest him length of days for ever and ever, indicating that it is the Father of all who imparts continuance for ever and ever on those who are saved. For life does not arise from us, nor from our own nature, but it is bestowed according to the grace of God. And therefore he who shall preserve the life bestowed upon him, and give thanks to him who imparted it, shall receive also length of days for ever and ever. But he who shall reject it, and prove himself ungrateful to his Maker, inasmuch as he has been created, and has not recognized him who bestowed the gift upon him, deprives himself of the privilege of continuance for ever and ever. And for this reason the Lord declared to those who showed themselves ungrateful towards him, If ye had not been faithful in that which is little, who will give you that which is great? Indicating that those who in this brief temporal life have shown themselves ungrateful to him who bestowed it, shall justly not receive from him length of days for ever and ever. 4. But as the animal body is certainly not itself 
the soul, yet has fellowship with the soul as long as God pleases, so the soul herself is not life, but partakes in that life bestowed upon her by God. Wherefore also the prophetic word declares of the first formed man. He became a living soul, teaching us that by the participation of life the soul became alive, so that the soul and the life which it possesses must be understood as being separate existences. When God therefore bestows life and perpetual duration, it comes to pass that even souls which did not previously exist should henceforth endure forever, since God has both willed that they should exist and should continue in existence. For the will of God ought to govern and rule in all things, while all other things give way to Him, are in subjection and devoted to His service. Thus far, then, let me speak concerning the creation and the continued duration of the soul. Chapter 35 Refutation of Basilides and of the opinion that the prophets uttered their predictions under the inspiration of different gods. 1. Moreover, in addition to what has been said, Basilides himself will, according to his own principles, find it necessary to maintain not only that there are 365 heavens made in succession by one another, but that an immense and innumerable multitude of heavens have always been in the process of being made, and are being made, and will continue to be made, so that the formation of heavens of this kind can never cease. For if from the efflux of the first heaven, the second was made after his likeness, and the third after the likeness of the second, and so on with all the remaining subsequent ones, then it follows as a matter of necessity that from the efflux of our heaven, which he indeed terms the last, another be formed like to it, and from that again a third, and thus there can never cease. Either the process or efflux from those heavens which have been already made, or the manufacture of new heavens, but the operation must go on ad infinitum, and give rise to a number of heavens which will be altogether indefinite. 2. The remainder of those who are falsely termed Gnostics, and who maintain that the prophets uttered their prophecies under the inspiration of different gods, will be easily overthrown by this fact, that all the prophets proclaimed one God and Lord, and that the very Maker of heaven and earth and of all things which are therein. While they moreover announced the advent of his Son, 
as I shall demonstrate from the scriptures themselves, in the books which follow. 3. If, however, any object that, in the Hebrew language, diverse expressions to represent God occur in the scriptures, such as Sabaoth, Eloi, Adonai, and all other such terms, striving to prove from these that there are different powers and gods, let them learn that all expressions of this kind are but announcements and appellations of one and the same being. For the term Eloi in the Jewish language denotes God, while Elohim and Elohuth in the Hebrew language signify that which contains all. As to the appellation Adonai, sometimes it denotes what is nameable and admirable, but at other times, when the letter Daleth in it is doubled, and the word receives an initial guttural sound, thus Adonai, it signifies one who bounds and separates the land from the water, so that the water should not subsequently submerge the land. In like manner also, Sabaoth, when it is spelled by a Greek omega in the last syllable, Sabaoth denotes a voluntary agent, but when it is spelled with a Greek omicron, as for instance, Sabaoth, it expresses the first heaven. In the same way, too, the word Jaoth, when the last syllable is made long and aspirated, denotes a predetermined measure. But when it is written shortly by the Greek letter Omicron, namely Jaoth, it signifies one who puts evils to flight. All the other expressions, likewise, bring out the title of one and the same being. As, for example, in English, the Lord of Powers, the Father of All, God Almighty, the Most High, the Creator, the Maker, and such like. These are not the names and titles of a succession of different beings but of one and the same, by means of which the one God and Father is revealed, he who contains all things, and grants to all the boon of existence. 4. Now that the preaching of the apostles, the authoritative teaching of the Lord, the announcements of the prophets, the dictated utterances of the apostles, and the ministration of the law, all of which praise one and the same being, the God and Father of all, and not many diverse beings, nor one deriving his substance from different gods or powers, but declare that all things were formed by one and the same Father who nevertheless adapts his works 
to the natures and tendencies of the materials dealt with, things visible and invisible, and in short, all things that have been made were created neither by angels nor by any other power, but by God alone, the Father, are all in harmony with our statements, has, I think, been sufficiently proved, while by these weighty arguments it has been shown that there is but one God, the Maker of all things. But that I may not be thought to avoid that series of proofs, which may be derived from the Scriptures of the Lord, since indeed these scriptures do much more evidently and clearly proclaim this very point, I shall, for the benefit of those at least, who do not bring a depraved mind to bear upon them, devote a special book to the scriptures referred to, which shall fairly follow them out and explain them, and I shall plainly set forth from these divine scriptures proofs to satisfy all the lovers of truth. End of Book 2, Chapters 32 through 35 Recording by Bill Mosley, Frelsburg, Texas